I kept talking to people. I was like going on these Facebook groups and talk, saying, I, th- I want to travel, uh, but I'm so scared to go. And I kept hearing the same thing over and over again. And that was nobody regrets traveling. And that really pushed hmm. me over. That gave me the, the push I needed to yeah, go. And quitting your job. I mean, that's pretty... <laughs> That was the best push of all, was actually making decisions that I couldn't go back from. Welcome back to the Work From Home Forever podcast. I'm your host, Don. And today we've got Kayla on the show. So Kayla, welcome. Please tell us about yourself. Hi, Don. Thanks for having me. I'm a huge remote work enthusiast, of course. We wouldn't be talking if we (laughs) didn't have that in common. And I'm a digital nomad, so I travel, use remote work as a way to travel full time. I don't have an apartment or a home base, and I carry most of my stuff with me. I have two boxes in storage, so it's not all my stuff, but I carry most of it. I'm kind of like a turtle (laughs) carrying everything around. And yeah, calling in today from Croatia. Well, Kayla, thank you for being on the show. Welcome. And you and I uh, are, are connecting because uh, you, you got a book coming out. So you were kind enough to send me a pre-read or, a, of the book. So I had a chance to review it. So your digital nomad story starts in 2016, 2017 in Chicago. So we have that in common since I'm based in the Chicago area. In the book, you talked about these crossroads you find yourself in. You had a good job. You had your own place. You're making great money. So thinking back to that time in your life, what made you think about walking away from the conventional and exploring the digital nomad lifestyle? I feel like a lot of people in the workforce that I knew were waiting all day for 5 p.m., waiting all week for the weekend, waiting all year for a vacation. And it really scared me as uh, a recent graduate. I was in my early 20s. I only worked in the like traditional workforce for two years before I left and went traveling and became self-employed. And a lot of people kept telling me that I would just get used to it. And I thought that was a truly scary idea that I would get used to this feeling. And it's kind of the norm, I think. Well, just kind of like get through it, you know, keep your head down, work hard. And one day I was talking to the secretary at work and I said, I, I was doing it too. You know, I said, well, you know, it'll be Christmas break soon. We don't have to be here. You know, then it'll be spring and it'll warm up Chicago cold. You know, no, everybody loves to complain about it. And she said, isn't it sad that we're all wishing away our lives? And mm-hmm. that was a moment that was quite pivotal for me. And I thought, oh, I can't, I don't want to be this person. I, I'm, I'm afraid of this, like really deeply afraid. So I found remote work and I got rid of my apartment and my stuff and I went traveling and found, used that as a way to be more mindful. And, you know, it's not like a silver bullet solution to get rid of your unhappiness or your bad habits, but it's a, it does make you very aware and create, yeah, you're able to design the life that you want, like day by day, week by week. And that's a huge gift. Yeah, that, that is so true. And, you know, I, I'm a lot further along in my career than you are. But it, it's true. It's it's amazing how quickly the time flies, right? And I find myself in that, I don't want to say a rut, because it's not, it sounds so negative, because I, but I don't feel necessarily that way. But like, from a career standpoint, it's kind of like, I'm at the point where I see the finish line in a way. And I'm like, I can run the clock out and just keep doing this. And, you know, I've got kids that are, you know, teenage now. And I'm like, well, the next milestone has got to get them through college. And then the next milestone, the next milestone, and then hopefully retired. So kudos to you for like, 
taking a step back and saying, is this really what I want? Right. And questioning that. So that's awesome. Mm, thanks. So you talked about how you were convinced that traveling was a cure for your rut, right? That's the way word I used it. So despite not having done any solo international travel at that point, how did you come to the decision that travel was what you needed to pursue? I felt very drawn to travel. And I think that maybe this is something, something, not everyone feels this, I know, but those of us who are kind of inflicted, you know, you just see yourself like looking out, daydreaming out the window and a plane going by and you think, I want to be on that plane. You don't even care where it's landing. You just love the idea of being somewhere else. The surprise, the, you know, the spontaneity of it. And I was very drawn into that. And I saw people on social media traveling and I kind of developed this motto, if, if they could, I can, right? It's like, I bet I could figure that out. I figured out, if I figured out anything else in life, why couldn't I, you know, I always like go back to drive. It's like, I learned to drive. I could theoretically learn to fly a plane. Uh, <laughs> if I have kids, I'll figure all that out. You know, we do all sorts of things in life that we have to figure out on our, like in the moment. I thought this can't be any different than anything else, can it? So I was really pushed by that inspiration, seeing other people doing what I wanted to do. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess thinking back to your growing up, I mean, did you and your family, did you guys do any really adventurous travel? Or I mean, was that kind of rooted, planted in you very early on in life that desire to travel and just be a nomad, if you will? Uh, I definitely grew up with that feeling like that you can kind of go to anything. We were big road trip. We were a real road trip family. And uh, like we would drive out to like growing up in Pennsylvania, we would drive to visit family in Arizona, even though that's like what, 24 hours of driving, we would drive out and visit them over the summer and see, you know, went to South Dakota and see all sorts, you know, different like national, I don't know, national parks and attractions. Like, I don't know. That was really my mom was that like force behind that. And I always saw her, oh, where do you want to go? We would talk about it. Where, where, where do we want to go this summer? Do we want to go see the Smoky Mountains? And then we would plan a trip and go, she would plan a trip and we would go there. And I grew up with this feeling of, oh, you can kind of go to anything on the map. Like you can go to Timbuktu and all these places exist. You just have to get yourself there. And uh, that definitely influenced the kind of feeling that, oh, I could get on a plane today and end up anywhere. Yeah, definitely. You know, so thinking about it, I mean, so obviously travel, it sounds like that was ingrained pretty early on. Were there other possible paths that besides traveling that you explored before you said, no, no, this is really what I want to do. This is this is how I want to experience life. Oh, yeah. I was very seriously considering going back to get my master's degree at the time because I wasn't really happy. I liked my job enough. I like enjoyed the day to day, but I felt like that wasn't the path. I was had a job in marketing and I really was thinking about maybe like urban planning or going to law school. I like bought, I actually don't even remember the name of it. The LSAT? Is that what you take going into law school? Yeah, yeah, law school. Yeah, LSATs. LSAT. I bought the LSAT prep book off like, and I was like kind of toying around with the idea of yeah, trying to pursue a different path. It's kind of funny how like I, I really see life as like all these like parallel roads and you can take a lot of them and your life kind of ends up in the same place. And then there's a few that like take you way off onto a different highway and you end up somewhere totally different. It's a little bit trippy to think about. Yeah, I think it's just about the approach, right? And like being open to being open to different things, right? And, and trying to, I don't know, as, as I was reading your book, it was just all about being uncomfortable. Because it sounds like the comfort, like being, being comfortable was what you did not like want to go down. So 
Mm, I wanted to be, yeah, a bit, I, I guess I felt, I, I leaned into a lot of challenging, challenging experiences. And for me, my big fear was sleepwalking through life. That's how I was feeling. I felt like I can't even tell you anything meaningful that happened in the last month, two months, going out to the bar on the weekends with friends, which is fun. But after you do it every weekend for six months, I think this all there is, is being hung over on Saturday mornings. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, I just, you can do it again on Saturday night too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> spending. I I thought it was quite a scary thing thinking about kind of repeating the path I was on for the next you know x number of years until I retired. Yeah, you can fall into that trap, right? Where you're making good money, you've got these milestones that you're hitting, and it's just it, you're right. The years just kind of can go fly by. So, like I said, that's that's great that you recognize that and want to look for something different. So, in the book, so in the preparation phase, you you mentioned it a couple of minutes ago. There was a motto that you mentioned, if they could, I can. So I love that, by the way. <laughs> and you talk about the process that you went through to learn as much about packing up how much you would need before going forward with your own plans. I spent about six months obsessively consuming information online, reading blogs, watching YouTube videos, social media I started volunteering at a hostel in Chicago, the Hosteling International Hostel on State Street. There's like a hostel there. And I volunteered there once a week just to like be around travelers and talk to people. I became kind of obsessive, constantly trying to learn about what it was like to be yeah, abroad because I found it really intimidating. I didn't speak. I studied French for like four years, but yeah, don't ask me to say anything. That was like, I was not confident in any language skills beyond English. I felt like I, I don't know. I kind of feel like I had no right to go somewhere where I didn't understand things. And like, I don't know. It was, it was very, I was terrified. I will say like, I was really genuinely afraid of going. And I actually made, I put my backpack that I bought to carry all my stuff. I put it on my, on the wall. I had a studio apartment in Chicago and I put my backpack like across from my bed. So I kind of like woke up and saw it in the morning. And then I put a post-it note next to it that said, don't be scared. And then one day when I was really about to chicken out, I picked up my backpack and I moved it to cover up the post-it note <laughs> because it nice. was like holding too close of a mirror to my fear. But I kept talking to people. I was like going on these Facebook groups and talk, saying, I, I want to travel, uh, but I'm so scared to go. And I kept hearing the same thing over and over again. And that was nobody regrets traveling. And that really pushed mm. me over. That gave me the, the push I needed to yeah, go. And quitting your job, I mean, that's pretty... <laughs> That was the best push of all was actually That's making bold, decisions right? that I couldn't go back from. I was so scared in that meeting, quitting my job. I was sweating so badly that the bottom of my glasses fogged up on my cheeks. I was so nervous. I thought this is like a huge mistake. What have I done? I can't go back. I can't just pretend that this meeting was about something else. It, it's crazy, right? Like that physical response, right? Like that actual, you know, I did read that in the book where you said that it fogged up your glasses at the at the bottom there. I think that's great. I mean, it, it's you've got to face your fears, right? Or otherwise, you're gonna, you know, just kind of sleepwalk through life, I think was what you said. So can you talk to us about like, where was the first place that you went to? I, I think I saw in the book that you had in your head that it was Mexico. And I don't recall if that's actually where you landed. But can you kind of talk us through about that first dot on the map? Yeah, I started in Mexico and I was actually looking at how to spend the least amount of money because I was kind of doing all these calculations of how will this go wrong? And I thought money is going to be the biggest issue, uh, probably. I wasn't great with finances at that point in life. So I found that you can actually stay like travel for free 
through a number of different avenues. So I found, I, I went through this thing called this program called Workaway, where you work and do an exchange. So you like volunteer your time and then you're allowed to stay places for free. So I applied to a couple different like exchanges in Mexico and then one accepted me first. And I thought, that's it. That's where I'm starting. It was at a, ho- a dive hostel on the island of Cozumel. And I went there for about a month. And then I ended up meeting people who said, oh, go to this place in Guatemala and learn, take Spanish class there because I wanted to learn Spanish. So then I went to Guatemala and then I met friends. One of them who became my, well, I met my husband there. I met some friends at Spanish school and we said, oh, you want to go to El Salvador? Sure. So we then we went together to El Salvador. We ended up traveling through like eight countries, just kind of backpacking our way south through Central America. And made it all the way down to Peru after event after about six months, I made it all the way down to Peru and then went to the Netherlands with my husband and have been living in Europe and traveling around here a lot ever since. So did it feel like those first six months where you sort of started in Mexico and then sort of made your way down to South America with these travel partners? Was it more like vacation? Or were you actually like putting in time and growing your business at, at that same time? So can you kind of talk through that? Like what was the mix of like work versus sightseeing versus like adventuring? It was about half and half. Well, originally it was mostly work because I was used to working all the time and I didn't really have hobbies. I wasn't, I kind of blamed it on the corporate environment, but I left the corporate environment and I was sitting there like in a tank top and sandals in this hostel in Mexico and I was still doing the same thing that I always did because it was my reflex. So I was still working more than 40 hours a week in the beginning. And even though my job only required me to work maybe 20 hours, I had found remote work online. I was doing freelance writing for this magazine. And uh, it, it kind of decreased. I started taking on different freelance projects that were bigger so I could work on them when I wanted and then just submit the deliverable to the client at the end. So it was a mix. It kind of ebbs and flows, I think, whenever you're traveling, if you're not full-time employed with a set number of hours a week or kind of a really reliable workflow, it ebbs and flows based on what your what what your plans are. But you need to picture yourself working and traveling if you want to live this lifestyle because the daydream of like being in your bikini all the time on the beach, you're picturing vacation. You need to picture work about 50% of the time. Yeah, so can you talk us through, you, you quit your job in Chicago, right? Your corporate job and then did you have a side hustle in the background to start building that kind of replacement income? Or were you like clean break, break my lease, pack up my backpack, quit, quit work, and then off to the airport and, and, you know, let's figure it out from there. Like, like, was it a really regimented process? Like you had all your ducks in a row. Can you talk us through that? It was pretty organized. I left my job in August, no, end of July. And I think in April I had lined up remote work. And I, it was for writing for an online magazine. And I started with a few smaller assignments and then I started, and then I took on regular like 20 articles a week, which was like four, four articles a day, Monday to Friday. So I started on the side as a side hustle and then I built it up so that as soon as I could like do like a very even handoff, like my corporate job is gone and now I'm going to start doing this Monday to Friday. And I recommend having something going because a lot of people do, you know, jump in the parachute will appear, get rid of your job, buy a one-way ticket, and you'll have to figure it out. That's true, but I think that you have a better time. And you can kind of get those kinks out of the rope whenever you're still employed with a normal salary at home versus like being somewhere in a very dynamic environment. It's better to have some stability there. Hey there, work from home forever fans. It's Don, your friendly host. 
if you're as passionate about the show and remote work as we are, we've got something special for you. Our exclusive merch. Explore the fantastic collection at wfhforever.com slash shop featuring a range of official goodies curated by the Work From Home Forever team. Not only do these items let you showcase your love for remote work, but they also make fantastic gifts for your virtual teammates. Plus, every purchase goes a long way in supporting the show. We've teamed up with Etsy to fulfill your orders, ensuring a seamless and trustworthy shopping experience. Head over to wfhforever.com shop now. Discover the perfect style for you, and thank you for being a part of our community. Now, let's dive back into our exciting episode. No, that's good. Like I said, I mean, on one hand, digital nomads can be viewed as very freewheeling, but at the same time, you've got to make sure that to manage your anxiety level, right, that you're going to have regular income. You've got to have a plan, right? Maybe not to the hour type or every 15-minute breakdown of what you're doing, but you've got to have a plan. So I think that's, that's great. And I'm glad it's, it's worked out for you. Yeah. State building is something that you have to offer yourself. If you take so much, like you're putting all your eggs in you, like you, you're the basket, you're handling your income, you're handling what you're doing, where you're going, how safe you are, how close you are to a grocery store. You like book an Airbnb or an accommodation that's a little too far off the beaten track. And you're all of a sudden like an hour walk from the grocery store. You have, you take a lot of responsibility for things that you never have to think about at home. And it's, it's kind of high risk, high reward in that way. Yeah. A miscalculation can burn you pretty badly. (laughs) Like staying somewhere that has internet that's too slow and you already paid for a month, but now you're there struggling to do your work. Like that stuff bites you pretty bad. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think what I liked about the book is that you're really open and candid about your experiences. So I don't know if you if you can share and talk about an experience that you faced abroad where you kind of took a step back and said, maybe the long term sustainability of the digital nomad lifestyle, maybe it's it's not not for you. Mm. I definitely had moments that made me question if I was still enjoying myself being sick in a foreign country and having to deal with a doctor's appointment, a whole system that you're not familiar with. And I had to do my first doctor's appointment ever. I had to do completely through Google Translate. And that's scary whenever you're sick. It makes you wonder, what the heck am I doing here? And why am I not at home where this is easy? And, you know, I can get the help that I need for sure. Yeah, every time I'm sick, I have those moments where... Yeah, I wish I could click my heels and be back. (laughs) But then the the bill comes and it's like $15 and you think, okay, (laughs) if I survive this, then I understand the benefit. Yeah. Now, at at any point during your travel, I mean, did did you have a home base back in the US where you could come back to? Is is that something you did frequently? Like you'll be away from in traveling and backpacking and working abroad and then back home for a month or two to take care of whatever you need to take take care of back home or were you pretty much just on the road and and haven't looked back i definitely don't feel like i have like i've never looked back i go stay with my family about a month out of the year in the u.s so i go home about once a year and i don't have that many ties in terms of things i need to do because i don't have health insurance i don't have any of that in the u.s anymore so i have very few like life admin things but in the beginning i did i would like get all my checkups and you know handle those sorts of things but now 
whenever I moved to the Netherlands, I used that as a home base. So my husband and I would travel. We had a studio apartment, kind of a, a room and a half. had like an open loft. It was a, I forget what it's called. It's like an Italian mezzanine or something. But <laughs> we had this uh, tiny apartment and we would use that as our base to travel as much as possible. And that was where we, you know, we did like a mix of living. Then we would go away for a month or two and come back. So. Okay. So that's kind of how life is now, right? Like you've got kind of a home base and then sort of off and then back and off and back kind of thing. We actually got rid of our apartment after five years oh. of using that as our base. So in uh, seven, eight months ago, we got rid of everything there and left. Yeah. Closed the door on an empty apartment with a backpack on and went fully nomadic again. So we each have two backpacks, one big one on the back and then a little guy on the front with all the tech in it. Big life hack. If you are going to travel, do not put your computer in your main luggage. You hold on to that no matter what. You never stow it under the bus on top of the van in the plane. No, never hold on to it. So a little guy, a little bag with all the tech. And yeah, we don't have anything with us now except for, you know, our travel gear. And we have I have two boxes in storage still with my in-laws in the Netherlands, but we're fully nomadic. We're just living out of Airbnbs. Yeah, we're in Croatia for now. We'll be gone in a few weeks, moving on. Where's the next spot? We're going to have about three weeks of kind of quick travel. So I like to book travel for about a month, like book a location. It's A month is long enough to feel like you know the place, to not have to kind of make all those decisions constantly. Like, you know where the cheap grocery store is. Like, I'm vegetarian. I know where I can find vegetarian food. And you also get a discount on Airbnb very often if you book for a month. So we like okay. to travel one month at a time and then kind of piece things together with like shorter stints. So we have like three weeks of kind of rapid movement where we're going from Croatia to Bosnia and Herzegovina to Montenegro, North Macedonia, Albania. And then we're going to be in Greece for a month and then Portugal for a month. So kind of a little rapid fire between some longer stays. Okay. So you got the first, uh, what, three, four months of 2024 mapped out for you? Yeah, that's actually a long, that's like the longest we've ever had mapped out at this point. All right, perfect. So you've kind of talked a little bit about it. So you had a lot of uh, great things happen on your journey and you started solo and you mentioned uh, you met your husband along the way. So uh, Beard Jan. So yeah. can you talk a little bit more about your story? Yeah, I met Beard Jan in Spanish school and then we just kind of, well, as you do whenever you're kind of in like the backpacking scene, it's like, oh, I'm going to leave tomorrow for this place. You want to come? You say, oh, sure. Yeah. And then it kind of just happened that every day it was like, yeah, sure, we'll go there together. And that sounds fun. Why don't we try that? And then all of a sudden it had been months of traveling together. And uh, at the end of our trip, I moved to the Netherlands. And that's where Brian is from. And then we ended up having that as our European home base. And Brian built up online work. He was a high school English teacher, so he was not an online worker at all. He didn't even have Wi-Fi. <laughs> it was 2018. He was <laughs> not an online guy. It was not how he spent his time online. He was always reading books or playing guitar or traveling. So it was a big transition for him to get him into the work, into the remote work world. But now he enjoys it. Obviously, I mean, to travel, I feel like you don't have to love being online. You don't have to be like a big like tech person. He didn't have a laptop, Wi-Fi. He was not tech, into tech at all. But once you see the benefits uh, and you get to use those benefits, it's not like a theoretical thing. 
that, oh, I could be anywhere. I could work from the beach tomorrow. But you have to be able to go enjoy and utilize the benefits. And then, it, yeah, I think that anyone, if anyone is listening who's like not super, then think, oh, I'm not really into the tech thing. You don't have to be to enjoy the benefits. Yeah, thanks so much for going into kind of his backstory because what I thought was super interesting was that he was in a traditional in-person teaching career and then made that made that transition to being a digital nomad. So yeah, I know you mentioned he wasn't a big online guy. He was more, you know, books, guitar, but what was the biggest hurdle for him to adjust to this lifestyle? Ooh, I think maybe having to self-manage how you spend your time. That's hard whenever you're at a job that's always kind of metered your work for you. Like teaching is a job where you like you don't set the tempo, the, the, the you know, the, the field sets the tempo, just the nature of the work. So then all of a sudden sitting at home and being, you know, saying, oh, I could do nothing or, you know, I, I could do it all, all my work for the whole week in one day. But also that means that you could like spend four days doing nothing and then have a crazy Friday to cram it all in. I think that was maybe actually maybe I'm projecting that was what was hardest for me. I guess if you asked him, he would tell you that the lack of stimulation was really difficult to all of a sudden sit in a quiet room with no one. I mean, we work together, but let's be honest, I do not have the uh, all the pizzazz of as a, a classroom full of high school kids. Sure. <laughs> That's funny. So Kayla, I know you've got a new book coming out. It's called How to Be a Digital Nomad. So can you tell us all about your book? I mean, we know you're passionate about the the lifestyle. I mean, it's it's come it's been evident in just our conversation here. So tell us about the book and who's the book for? The book is a how-to guide, but it has the cadence of kind of a travel memoir. And it's not just about my experiences. I found and interviewed and told the stories of digital nomads spanning five decades of travel in the book. So starting with the first digital nomad in 1983, his name is Stephen K. Roberts. And he started out with the first portable computer as a, he, he called it tech nomad back then. And I found digital nomads kind of were there for all these big technological moments. So the portable computer, dial-up internet, Wi-Fi computer cafes, which have gone by the wayside in most countries now. And now it's so easy with the tech that we have. You almost don't need to do anything different except find the job that allows you to work remotely because we all have the technology at our fingertips already. But the book is a practical how-to guide and it helps you make decisions. So it's not about do this, this country is better than that country, this computer is the best model and that one isn't. It's about here's what you need to think about and how to make a plan that actually suits you and isn't just the thing that you see. Because I've heard from a lot of people that they tried the Bali thing and didn't like it. But that's not what remote work is. It's so much more than one story of some, you know, the popular story that we see online. It's about all of the, it's about the freedom and how that takes you anywhere. And I tried to really tell those stories through all the nomads in the book. Very cool. Well, I know, uh, I know it's coming out here uh, very shortly. So actually, one of the questions uh, I've got is that you've got a section in the book where you list your 10 golden rules of remote work habits. So I want to spend time on one of them, which is uh, number three, which is name and file everything correctly every single time. So anyone who's worked with me in my W2 job can probably tell if I worked on a file because I have a very certain way I name and organize my files. So I'm pretty particular about it, meticulous about it. So why do you recommend this practice and how do you name and organize your work? If you can kind of share your, your secrets. I name everything with the, a descriptor. So 
I'm trying to think of an example that's not specific enough to identify a client. Um, well, I write for HubSpot, so that's public information. So if I was writing an article for HubSpot, I would put the title of the article and then HubSpot. And then I might, in a lot of cases, maybe not HubSpot specifically, but I, I would also put the, the year sometimes the month in the year so that if i'm thinking oh i wrote that article in october 2022 i you turn all of your files into a search engine for yourself and this isn't just about you i mean it is about you because everyone can benefit from having organized files but it's really about your team as well because whenever you're working remotely especially if other people aren't people are going to have this idea specifically if you're traveling, that you're just on vacation and that you're maybe not working as hard as they are because you're doing your job from, you know, an island somewhere beautiful and they're doing it from the office. And you can't give people the feeling that you're disorganized or behind or slow or you lost something important. You need to be above and beyond with how you conduct yourself online in order for your team to value you the same. I think not, not in every case, but in many cases. So I encourage everyone to name everything correctly so that your team doesn't, you don't kind of develop this reputation for losing things. You know, you can't lose, it's so easy to lose something whenever it's named badly. And you also can't find it or delete it confidently if you don't know what it is and how important it is. So, um, No, that's I'm, great advice. No, thank you. I appreciate that. I, 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 I take a similar approach. I usually, um, I usually go the two digit years. So it would be like 23-12. So I know sequentially if I've got a bunch of different revisions, that's kind of how I do my my files, my filing system. So thank you so much for that. So, well, Kayla, um, enjoyed our conversation here. I've got a couple of rapid fire questions. If, if you still have some time with us. All right. Hit me. All right. Question number one, what country is next on your bucket list to live and work? Greece. Awesome. Number two, as a former Chicagoan, what's your go-to deep dish pizza place? Uh, I forget the name of it. It feels sacrilegious to say that, but um, it was the how one. How long did you live in Chicago? Only a year. Okay. All right. <laughs> it was the one closest to my home. So yeah, I'm sorry. Can I plug a different Chicago restaurant? The Chicago sure. Diner. That's my death row meal. If I was on death row, I would want the radical Sh Reuben from the Chicago Diner. Where's the Chicago Diner? There's two. I'm forgetting it's like Lakeview. I'm sorry. I'm that was seven years ago, so it's a little blurry. But sure. uh, I think Lakeview is one of them. It's a vegan restaurant, but it will okay. blow your mind. It's so good. The Chicago Diner. Okay, maybe I'm too suburban now. I just don't. <laughs> I just don't get into the city too often then. So, question number three: What's a dead giveaway that the Airbnb or Verbo listing is not going to live up to expectations? Lots of close-up photos of things that don't matter, like a close-up photo of the candles on the nightstand whenever they should be showing you what the bed looks like. Oh, great advice. Perfect. <laughs> Last question I've got is, what is one thing that you did not want to give up, but you found that you really didn't miss it? Oh my gosh, all my stuff. I got rid of 95% of my stuff and I miss almost nothing. And I used, mo I think I got rid of half of it before I got rid of something that I actively used. Perfect. Well, Kayla, well, thank you so much for your time. Can you please, again, tell us how do people get a hold of you? When can people get a chance to read the book and and let us know like what's the best place to to find it? So. I'm available if anyone wants to reach out on my website, writingfromnowhere.com. You can contact me there. And the book comes out January 30th. 
And it's available in all the usual places for books, Amazon, Target, Barnes and Noble online. If you have an independent bookstore nearby, I would it would be great to check with them to see if they have it. But those that usually comes later after a book is released. Independent bookstores don't stock a lot of books like this whenever they come out. So try to support local if you can, but you can find it online in a lot of a lot of uh, a lot of the big places. Perfect. Well, thank you so much, Kayla Erig. Thank you for being on the show. Good luck with the book launch, How to Be a Digital Nomad, available January 30th, 2024. And we'll put links to that in our show notes. So thank you again for being on the show and stay safe and uh, enjoy your travels. Thanks so much, Don. All right. Take care. You too.